Welcome to the weekly podcast from Spring of Life Church, located in the heart of downtown Portland. We hope you enjoy this message from God's Word. For more information, visit us at springoflifepdx.com. Well, good morning. My name is Jared. It's super good to be back here with you. I've got to hang out here one time before, uh, and it was awesome. And uh, apparently I didn't mess it up too much, so Aaron invited me back. Uh, you guys are super... Um, I don't know if lucky is the right word. I don't know if you're allowed to use the word lucky in church. Uh, my mom always get mad at me when I said lucky. She's like, God blessed you. It's not luck, but it's very spiritual. Anyway, you're lucky, you're blessed, you are, uh, I can't think of another word, but privileged to have Aaron as your leader here and one of your leaders here. Uh, man, the guy is just like so humble. Uh, if you call this place your your home church, uh, I would highly encourage you when we're done here to leave and when you see him, make him feel super awkward and give him a biggest hug. Like if 30 of you give him a hug, he's going to feel really uncomfortable and it's going to be awesome. So uh, if this is your home church, leave here and give him a giant hug. Uh, James, I, I know you guys are in the middle of James. James is a super fun book. If you're new to the faith, like if, if Christianity is still maybe new to you or churches may be new to you, um, and you're like, I, the Bible feels really intimidating. I don't know where to start. James is a super fun and practical way uh, to start in your Bible reading. It, very rarely do you read James and then you come across or you, you leave it and you're like, I wonder what James was trying to say there. He's really direct. He's very obvious in what he's trying to say. Uh, it's not like a bunch of theological heaviness and you're, you're like trying to read a bunch of commentaries to figure out uh, what did he mean by that. It's, it's pretty easy to figure out really quickly what James was trying to say. So that's a great place to start if you're new to the Bible. If you have a Bible or you have an, a Bible app on your phone, you can pull your phone out uh, as long as you promise not to text. Um, are, there, are there Bibles uh, around? Again, I'm, I'm pretty new here. So we've got some guys will hand you a Bible if you need one. Maybe just raise your hand if you need a Bible. Uh, here's one, two, three. I see that hand. I see that hand. That's an old church joke. Any other, anyone else need a Bible? Anyone? <laughs> anyone else need a Bible? No? You can raise your hand. No? All right. Well, uh, pull out your Bible. There, there's, a, there's a Bible app. My favorite is called, uh, I think it's called Version. You guys have that one? Version. That's my favorite Bible app. So if you want to download that, you can download it. Uh, quickly, but we'll turn, turn to James chapter 4. That's where we're going to start today. James chapter 4. And before we dive in, I know we've prayed a few times, but uh, if you would, let's just say one more prayer and ask Jesus to speak through his word. God, we love you so much. It's such a joy to be with your people in one place singing songs about you and to you and for you. And God, we pray that as we open up your word now, that you would do uh, what you promised it would do in 2 Timothy, that you would use it to teach us and to correct us and to train us for righteousness. Uh, God, for some of us, there's going to be people here who feel really uh, maybe a sense of arrogance, maybe without even knowing it in their spirit. And your, your Holy Spirit through your word is actually going to bring conviction today for those of us who need conviction. For others uh, of us in this room, maybe we're feeling a sense of lowliness or self-worth is low. And God, you want to raise up and to remind people of the good news of your gospel that uh, those who identify as with you as their Savior are actually saints whom are loved deeply. And so, God, would you use your word to encourage those who need encouragement today. But God, do what you promised to do. Change all of our lives today. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So we're going to read, start in James chapter 4, verse 13. 
if you've got that open. James chapter 4, verse 13 says this, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, If the Lord wills, we will live and we will do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. If you would, turn with me, kind of go backwards in your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. For those of you who have an actual physical Bible in your hand, it's just backwards. Uh, a few books for those of you who have a Bible app. Just look for the word Matthew and you'll find it. Matthew chapter 6 and we're going to go to verse 25. Matthew six twenty-five. we're all there? Give me a minute to turn or flip or swipe. You there? Matthew six twenty-five says this, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you so anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious about anything saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Listen to this verse. It's very important. Verse 33, But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Uh, I, put, I, I asked if they would put a pen on each of your uh, chairs. So you should have a pen near you. If you don't, um, maybe raise your hand. We'll get you a pen. But grab a pen. Take that piece of paper where the worship songs were. Flip it over so you're on the back side. I didn't make any slides. I tried to last night figure out how to make slides. And um, turns out I don't know what I'm doing. So um, we will draw our way through this. Uh, turn that piece of paper over, get out the pen, and I want you on one side of the paper, kind of towards the left, I want you on one side to draw a stick figure. Whoever draws the best stick figure person, Aaron will give another regal movie card to. Tell him I said that. So on one side of the, yeah, maybe on the left side, do a stick figure. Got it. And under that stick figure, put the word arrogant. 
it's hard to spell, A-R-R-O-G-A-N-T, arrogant. Latin origin, spelling bee. Uh, on the other side of the paper, do another stick figure. So just kind of next to that man or woman. Put another one. This is fun. I've never had anybody ever draw stick figures in any message I've ever given, and I'm loving this idea already. Okay, so you should have two stick figures on your paper. Under the second one, put the word anxious. A-N-X-I-O-U-S. A-N-X-I-O-U-S. Anxious. In James, chapter 4, you got your stick figures down? Arrogant on one side, under one, anxious on the other. In James chapter 4, James is actually getting, he's rebuking this group of people. They're actually business people or what they would call in their time merchants. He's rebuking them because they say, we're going to go to this town and we're going to start some business and we're going to make some money. Actually not that bad of an idea. It doesn't even feel that sinful or wrong. We're going to go start a business somewhere. Maybe some of you have said that. I've said that before. doesn't feel like that, like overt sin. And yet James says, why are you saying that? We'll come back to that in a second. But in Matthew, he, he calls them arrogant. In Matthew, Jesus is talking, and he's talking to a group of people, and he says, you guys are actually anxious. You're, you're thinking about the future, and instead of dreaming about the future and hoping for the future and getting excited about the future, you're actually anxious about the future. In both James and in Matthew, we see two groups of people looking towards the future, one of them with arrogance, and one of them with anxiety. But both are looking towards the future. And both get rebuked. One by James, one by Jesus. They're both looking at the future, one with arrogance, one with anxiety. And the Bible says both of these are wrong. Which is confusing. Because you're like, man, why, why is that wrong? You look at in James chapter 4, these business people, they're thinking about like, man, I just want to, Go start a business and make some money. That doesn't feel wrong. It doesn't feel like they're doing anything wrong there. And then you look at the, the people that Jesus is talking to in Matthew chapter 6, and all they're saying is, I wonder what I'm going to eat today or drink or what clothes I will wear. That doesn't seem like all they're worried about is their basic necessities of life, like their, their very basic needs. It seems legitimate to worry, to have some anxiety about those things. And so we have to ask ourselves, like, why, why does the Bible look at these two groups of people, one with anxiety and one with arrogance, and, they, and they're both being rebuked? Like, why? It seems pretty legitimate. I think that these two passages teach us three things about both God and ourselves. And so that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to uh, go through these three things today. We'll pray, we'll wrap up, and we'll be done. Here's the three things that I think the Bible teaches. These two passages teach us about both our anxiety and our arrogance and what they teach us about ourselves, and they teach us about God. Number one, I think that God, if you, if you still have that notebook out, you can write one, two, three, because I'll go really specifically here. Number one, God cares about the details of your life. God cares about the details of your life. 
Both James and Jesus looked at these groups of people who are looking to the future, and he says, why are you approaching your future without the consultation of God? That's where the sin is. Both of these people are looking towards the future. One is just dreaming about like hopes and dreams and aspirations of the future. All of us do that. The sin there is that why did you look to the future and never approach God? The one person who actually knows your future, you didn't even consult on. You didn't involve into the details of your life. The second people who are looking to the future and now with anxiety, God says, why are you missing out on me? The one who takes care of the birds and the air and the lilies of the field. You're missing out that there's, there's one person who can actually take care of you. And yet you instead, when you look to the future, you have anxiety. You have worry. Both groups of people, their common denominator is that they're looking to the future without God. And here's the thing that I think we learn in these two passages. God cares about the details of like your life. And I think we best see this in Exodus chapter 16. If you're not familiar with the Bible, there's a group of people called the Israelites. And God has rescued these people out of slavery. And he's saying, hey, I know you were like super oppressed. You were slaves. You were beaten. You were hungry. Uh, But I'm going to take you out of slavery. And I'm going to move you to another place, a land that I'm promising you that's going to be better. It's going to be flowing with milk and honey. And so you're going to move from slavery to the promised land. And in the midst of that journey, which shouldn't have taken that long, ends up taking 40 years of them walking through the desert. And in the middle, these people are like walking, former slaves, there's thousands of them. They're walking through the desert and they start to grumble like, man, at least when we were slaves, we were eating. And now we're out here in the desert and I'm like super hungry and I'm thirsty. Like, why did God bring us out here? I would rather die or I would rather be a slave than to go through this. That probably was really heartbreaking for God to take his children and say, I'm going to take you out of slavery. I'm going to rescue you and I'm going to move you to a place that gives you hope. And they're like, yeah, I actually liked when I was a slave better. And they're hungry. Their basic needs they feel like aren't getting met. So God does this crazy thing. They're in the middle of the desert And God says, I'm going to rain down bread, or manna as the Bible calls it, from heaven so that you can eat. Insane. Like they wake up and there's food for them to eat that just like appeared. God just miraculously had food show up. But there was a catch to it, this like system that God designed. God said, I'm going to only give you enough food for one day at a time. He said, some of you are going to be tempted to like grab more food than you need for today. You're going to try to store it up for tomorrow. And if you do that, because I know you probably will, if you do that, it'll actually go bad. So when you wake up the second day, that food won't even be edible. It seems kind of like, like, why would God do that? Why wouldn't God just give them food for the week or for the month? Why would God tell them, I'm only going to give you enough for today? And literally not even two days ahead. But just for today, you will have enough. Every single day, the Israelite people had to wake up and make a conscious decision. I see a lot of bread here. I'm only going to take enough for today. Trusting and believing that God will show up the next day to meet my needs again the following day. Because here's what we learn about God in those two passages and in Exodus. 
God cares about the details of your life, and he actually wants to involve you and interact with you daily. That's crazy. The God of the universe, the God who created all of this, wants to interact with you daily. Every single day. God could have given them enough food for months. But God said, I want to interact with you. I want you to depend on me. I want to be in relationship with you every single day. That's insane. The God of the universe is highly relational. Uh, there was a several years ago, I was sitting in a counselor's office trying to sort through my own junk, and I was uh, with my wife, and we were sitting there, and this counselor said something that stuck out to me. He was talking specifically about our marriage, and he said that studies are showing, they're doing these um, relational studies, where two people, and this can be in the context of marriage or maybe friendship or any kind of close relationship, two people can actually come together and feel a sense of intimacy and closeness. But that intimacy and closeness will begin to fade, studies are showing, as quickly as 24 hours. So an example of that would be uh, on our anniversary every year, I like to take my wife to a big, on a big trip to celebrate our marriage anniversary. So this last year we went on a cruise, and it was a bla- I had a blast. I found out later she didn't have as much of a blast, which really... Sh- shocked me. Uh, she was talking to some friends. and like, oh, did you love the cruise? She was like, yeah, it was all right. I was like, the heck? Like, I thought that was like the best vacation of our life. Uh, anyway, so it's <laughs> a side note there in my own working out. Anyway, so we, we went on a cruise, and I had a blast. It was awesome. She had a decent time. And uh, our, in our marriage, we were like, man, we were really close. Like, we, we have kids, and so the kids stayed home, and we got to just be together, and we were like, uh, you know, we just connected. We got to spend a week together on a boat and ate tons of food, you know, and explored new places. It was a deep, close connection. The fear would be that as a husband, I could leave that experience and be like, man, we're good, like, for a while. Like, I don't have to take her on dates for, like, at least, that, that bought me, like, three or four months, <laughs> right? Because we were really close. But the science is showing, this is what the counselor was saying, the science is showing as quickly as 24 hours, that sense of deep connection can start to fade. As quickly as 24 hours. And if you're married, you know that. You guys can be like on your best (laughs) day and like 24 hours later, you're like, I'm divorcing this woman. Like, we can't do this anymore, right? Like you've seen, that's a little extreme. Don't divorce in 24 hours time. But it's an extreme. And even me going to Africa with Aaron, uh, we went a couple years ago, we went to Africa. Like you you go on another, to another country with somebody and you spend a week like, eating food that you never tried and traveling together. Like, there's a sense of, like, man, our friendship took, like, seven years forward. And yet we can come home, and as quickly, science is showing, as 24 hours, that will start to fade. And so even in friendship, even if you're not married, in friendship, it takes this ongoing, daily, consistent interaction to maintain intimacy. And this, God the Creator, built this into our DNA, he like, like science is proving the heart of our God. That God said, I didn't just save you once. I didn't just like get you to say a prayer and then I'm like peacing out. Like I'll see you in heaven. Hope life goes well for you. God says, I want to be involved in the details of your life every single day. 
We serve a highly relational God. Not only could he have just given them food for months, he said, I'm going to give you food for today because I want to be highly involved in your day today. God could have saved you once and then peaced out, but God wants to be involved in the details of your life every single day. That's the first thing we learn. The second thing we learn is that we are out of control. If you're taking notes, number two, we are out of control. In both James and in Matthew, we see two groups of people. We see arrogance and we see anxiety. At the heart of both of those is this, I want control. At the heart of arrogance is me basically saying this, man, I'm going to, and this applies to any of us, whether you're in school or work or wherever involved, the reason we make plans is because we want a sense of control, right? For a student, a student might say, I'm going to work super hard to get good grades so I can go to this college, and then after college, I'm going to get married to this person, have this much of my retirement, buy this house, get this kind of car, and like kind of coast. What you're doing is you're making plans in hopes that you'll have a sense of control over your life. The same with the person who is anxious. A person looks at their future and they say, man, I need money to pay my bills. I need to get some food. Or maybe if you're single, you're thinking, I really need to find a spouse. Or maybe if you're married, you're thinking, I need to control my spouse or get them to act a certain way. And you start to look at life and you realize it feels very uncontrollable and it brings up anxiety. Anxiety at its root is the sense that I don't have control, right? That's anxiety. It's like I I can't control this situation and it is overwhelming me with anxiety. At the heart of both the arrogant and the anxious is the sense that we are out of control. And here's the reality. Bad news. You are out of control. You're completely out of control. Whether you're planning like crazy or you're the one that's like feeling very anxious, the truth is you're out of control. You don't have control of your situation. Uh, Last summer, I was getting ready to head out of the country for a week. And so my son at the time was super into fishing. So I said, before I leave, my flight left at like 6 in the morning the next day. So it was like 7 o'clock the night before. And I said, why don't we just go throw a couple casts in the water, see if we can catch some fish, spend some time together before I leave. So we go to this dock that's one of my favorite docks to fish on with my son, and I brought my daughter with me, who just likes to hang out. She's four, so she just likes to hang out, run, run along the dock and cut our worms in half. She's, like, super into cutting my worms in half, which is weird. Like, that is that normal? Um, that's what she's into. She's like, <laughs> that's what fishing looks like for her. Anyway, so we're at the dock. Uh, a week earlier, I had just gone to that dock, uh, with my family was in town, so we had fished there, and I actually had dropped my phone in the bottom of the river, which was terrible. I went and got a brand new phone. I'm like, I don't want to be, I'm trying really hard to get out of debt, so I'm like, I don't want to be in debt anymore. I'm just going to, I had some money saved up. I'm like, I'm just going to pay outright for a new phone. So I bought a new phone outright. So anyway, we go to this dock, and we're fishing, and my daughter's bored from cutting the worms in half, so she's like, Daddy, can I play, watch YouTube or play on your phone or whatever? I'm like, baby, no. Like, Daddy just dropped his phone a couple days ago in this river. I'm super anxious about it. She's like, Daddy, please. You know, she's super cute, and I'm a dad, and I'm soft. And so I'm like, all right, baby, you can, you can watch the phone uh, right in the middle of this dock. I like, if the dock is like this room, I put it like right in the middle. <laughs> so it was like, there's no possible way that that phone could be in the water. 
If she drops it at any place, there's lots of space all around the water that there's no way that that phone's going in the water. You see where I'm going with this story. So I put her in the middle. We're fishing. My son and I are having fun. She's watching YouTube or whatever. Internet's really bad at this particular area in town. So the game or YouTube or whatever she was doing on the phone was not loading quickly enough. And my daughter, in all her beautiful impatience, takes my brand-new paid-off phone and literally throws it all the way into the middle of the river. I'm not kidding. I'm, I'm not kidding when I say it was literally the most mad I've ever been. And maybe my life's been pretty sheltered. But I was more mad than I've ever been in my life. I screamed at her. I'm convinced that there were people like around the neighborhood calling the cops. I screamed. I was so angry for so many reasons. <laughs> but I was so angry. My son was like, you know, I'm going to pack up our stuff. I'll meet you in the car. I'm just going to go in the car. I'll pack up our stuff. Dad, I, he's like, he goes into like super like obedient mode. <laughs> and he's like... No, Dad. No, I'll get our stuff. I'll get our stuff. I'll get it. I'll, get it. I'll meet you in the car. I'll start the car. I'll get gas in the car, and I'll meet you. I'm just so mad. And I'm just like, we're in the car, and I'm like just grabbing everything. I'm just like in a fury. I'm grabbing everything, and we're just throwing stuff in the car, and I'm slamming doors, and I'm putting it, her in there, and I'm, and I'm literally yelling at her. I mean, it's one of my like most embarrassing parenting moments when I look back. I'm literally yelling at her the entire way home. I'm, so, I'm leaving on a flight at like 6 in the morning out of the country. And I just, and there's so many reasons I was mad. Anyway, so I'm yelling at her on the way home. And later that night, as like my adrenaline starts to come down, at the root of what I was feeling, I'm like, why am I so mad? Like, for sure, it sucks. I lost my phone. I lost a lot of money. But I think I kept trying to ask myself, like, what am I really mad at? Why am I this mad? Why am I like a 10 out of 10 mad at this? And in my gut, I just felt like I feel a sense of I am completely out of control. I'm out of control in my own life. I feel out of control now in my finances. I feel out of control in knowing how to raise my daughter and how to discipline my daughter. Everything felt completely out of control. It was one of the most highlighting moments of my life where I realized, like, Jared, as much as you try to make your pretty life fit into some neat box, you are completely out of control. And that's bad news. But the good news is we serve a God who is completely in control. And so even in that moment, I can gospel myself. And I could say, Jared, you are out of control, but your life is surrendered. You are a slave to the king who is fully in control, and your life belongs to him. And God is fully in control, and the good news is he's a good king, and he's a good God. And so not only is your life enslaved under the authority of a king who's in control, but you're under the authority of a good king who wants to be involved in all the details of your life. That's good news, friends. There's a time in Scripture where Jesus is hanging on a cross. They're literally taking nails, and they're piercing it through his flesh. And he's hanging on a cross. He's covered with spit and blood because they've been spitting on him and mocking him and beating him. And the world would think 
God has no control right now. Jesus is out of control. They take his dead body and they put him in a grave and they cover it with a stone. And you would think, and Satan probably even thought, I'm in control. Look how not in control God is. But we know the good news. God was never out of control. He came to do the very work that he meant to do on that cross. He rose again. Jesus, even when it seems like he's out of control, is in complete control. Man, that's good news. Because, friends, there's times in your life where there's way bigger circumstances than phones being thrown into the river. There's bigger stuff than that that you're dealing with. There's like deep relational friction. There's hurt and sickness and financial stress. There's all kinds of stuff you're dealing with. And in those moments where you feel like, I am completely out of control, you are. But the good news is you serve a God who is in control. Amen? That should be good news too. We could stop there. That's helpful. I was putting that together last night. I'm like, thank you, Lord. That's good news. That's helpful for me to this day. Last point here that these two scriptures teach us is this. Number three, we're a mist. Mist. M-I-S-T. Number three, you're a mist. This morning, like I'm sure many of you, uh, I got up and I took a shower and my mirror was all fogged up and I opened the door and I turned on the fan and about a minute and 30 seconds, the, the steam that was on that mirror is gone. And James says very directly, that's your life. That's how quickly it comes and goes. How many of you can know the first name of your great-grandmother? How many of you know the first name of your great-great-grandmother? wasn't too long ago. They were like alive, making babies so you could get here. <laughs> and we don't even like know their first names. That's because life is a mist. I mean, that's sad reality. Like life comes and it goes quickly. My wife is an oncology nurse. She works uh, with cancer patients. And so literally every day that she's working, she is in an office. She's in an office where people come in and they have just heard that they have a cancer diagnosis, oftentimes uh, which will be their death sentence. She's the first person that they see after they get that news. And she will walk with them through their entire cancer treatment until they either can come out cancer-free or it will end up taking their life. And every week we have tears in our home of stories that we hear from her, that she hears in that office of young moms and young dads and young people who thought, I'm going to make lots of plans for my life. And yet, they didn't know God's will. They didn't know what tomorrow would hold, as James would say. Your life is a mist. It will be here and gone tomorrow. That's why James says, why are you so arrogant to make plans without consulting God? I don't think James was mad that they made plans. We all make plans. Jesus made plans. But he says, why are you acting like all these things are so important when you literally don't know what tomorrow holds? You and I don't know what the rest of this day holds. Our lives could be changed today. It's a mist. And so when you're planning your calendar and you're planning your week, 
Does your life reflect that kind of urgency? Because here's the thing. When we recognize we're citizens in the kingdom that lasts forever, the things that felt important don't really feel important anymore. Like, what clothes am I going to wear? Or what school should I go to? Or what job should I get? Those are big questions. But in light of eternity, those don't seem as important anymore. I start to ask questions like, what does God want to do in my heart? What areas, broken areas of my heart does God want to redeem? And what broken areas of the city or your neighborhood does God want to use you to be a part of redemption? Those are eternal questions. And so you stop worrying about silly stuff. We have a friend who, uh, her daughter is my daughter's age, she's four, um, and she has a disease, this terminal illness that I think like 18 people have in the world. It's an incredibly rare disease that is taking this little girl's life. And she was just over, uh, the mom of that little girl was over our house a couple weeks ago. And it's funny, when you have conversations with her, her perspective of like what's important and what's not important is so refreshing. Like you just stop gossiping about dumb stuff. You stop worrying about dumb stuff because you recognize life is a mist. It could come here and be gone in an instant. And so here's my practical final thoughts for you. As you are, today's Sunday, you'll have a week of planning to do. Number one, as you're planning your week, are you involving a God who wants to be involved in your life daily in the little details? Think, look through your week. Have I consulted God? Because here's what most of us do. Most of us make plans and we either are arrogant about them or anxious about them, and then we consult God. Like, we'll check in once a month or once a week. Like, we come to church, and we're like, hey, God, I'm doing all this stuff. What do you think? But maybe go through your week and literally look at everything that's on your calendar and say, God, what is your will for me this week? What is your will for me today? I know that you will for me to be right here right now. I'm confident of that. God has us here right now. So ask, like, God, what do you want me to do? Is there someone in this room you want me to talk to right now? When I leave here, if I go to a restaurant, do you want me to talk to someone there? Do you want me to love on somebody there? Do I need to give a tip or be generous here? Like, I don't know what that looks like. But ask, looking at your calendar and saying, God, I know that you want to be involved with the details of my life. And so I surrender, I surrender them to you, and I'm asking you to evaluate my cal- calendar and my plans. And would you tell me, God, what you would want me to do. Number two, as you look through this week, can you surrender your life in such a way that you say, God, I know that you are in control. And so if I have big dreams and big plans about relationships or work or finances or whatever, I'm releasing control to you because I know you're a good God. And even though I feel like I want to be in control, I actually want you, good, gracious God, to be in control. And for some of you, in your planning or in your arrogance, you need to submit humbly to a God who's, in, who's a better God and a better king than you. And for some of you, in your like brokenness or anxiety, you can come before the Father and say, God, I'm, I'm stressed about these things. I feel anxious about this stuff. But I'm presenting them to you because I know you're a better God than me. You're a God who takes care of the birds in the air and the lilies of the field. And so I'm releasing and I'm submitting my anxiety to you, knowing you're a good God who's actually in control. And finally, as you look through your calendar, 
do your decisions, does your, does your calendar and your checkbook reflect, checkbook, some of you guys are like, what's a checkbook? It's 2018. Does your calendar and your bank account reflect that you are a citizen in the kingdom? And you've probably heard this, and it can be cheesy, but death can be sometimes a really good reminder for us. As you look at your calendar, can you say, if this were the last day or the last week of my life, and I knew I've been commissioned by God to go and make disciples, to see his kingdom grow in my heart, in my family, in this world, how would your calendar look different? And how would your bank account look different? Where would you spend your time and your money if you actually thought, my life is a mist. It could be gone tomorrow. It could be gone today. It could be gone in the next week. How would your calendar look different? And how would your bank account look different? And start to make the shifts. Maybe there's stuff on there that's just dumb. I try to do an inventory of my calendar all the time. I'm just like cutting stuff. Like that doesn't make sense for the kingdom. Cut it out. Cut it out. Is this helpful for two of you? Sweet. <laughs> Let me pray for us. Uh, we'll sing one more song and get out of here. Jesus, we love you. We're so grateful, God, that you're in control, that you're a good God who, uh, even when you look out of control sometimes, or we wonder where you are in the midst of our chaos, God, you're still in control. So we thank you that you are sovereign, gracious, good God. Lord, we thank you that you love the details of our life, um, that you didn't just save us once and then leave, but you actually want to be involved in all the details. That's such good news, God. You're, you're a very relational God, and we're so grateful to serve you, to be in relationship with you. God, would we not run away from you, but run toward you with our plans? And finally, God, would you rearrange our schedule and our values and our priorities so that our calendar and our bank account reflect that we are citizens in your kingdom, that we wouldn't live our life like the people in James saying we're just going to go run business because our biggest goal is money would we look at our calendar and say we're going to go do whatever it takes to advance God's kingdom in our heart in our family and around the world God would you give us the courage and the humility to sacrifice the things that are just don't make sense for your kingdom we love you so much God thanks for showing up and teaching us out of your word it's in your name we pray amen Thanks for listening to the weekly podcast of Spring of Life Church, where our mission is to invite thirsty people to become disciples of Jesus. For more information or to plan a visit to our church in Portland, visit us at springoflifepdx.com.